the Inflation Reduction Act, and don't take our word for it, go right to the, uh, the White House website and the briefing room where they say, by the numbers, the Inflation Reduction Act will lower costs for families, combat the climate crisis, reduce the deficit, and finally ask the largest corporations to pay their fair share. Did you know that I have three really complicated relationships in my life? With me, myself, and I? Close. My relationship with money, my relationship with people, and my relationship with self. And they're all connected together because when my relationship with money got out of whack, it totally had an impact on those other relationships. That, my friend, is what we call having financial sobriety. So who are you? I'm Matthew Grishman. Who are you? Jim Gebhardt. And we're a couple of financial advisors trying to have an untraditional conversation about our favorite topic, money. Let's go. Yes, it's me again, Ace. Just a reminder that we're going to roll right back into the program where we left off on the discussion of inflation and now leading right into that oh-so-important discussion about what the Inflation Reduction Act is. And does its name really say it all? I think at this point, it's fairly obvious to most people out there, at least I've been having conversation with, that this Inflation Reduction Act has very little to do with inflation. It's a sales pitch. It's a buzzword. And I think we can all kind of agree on that. And initially, when I saw that, I got pretty pissed off. I know. I got pretty angry. I know. And but, and, and I get it because you, you have a more fundamental understanding of how you would traditionally slay the dragon. Well, and that's yeah. that's where I think we start before we go into the into the act that's been signed is you you referenced monetary policy, yeah. right? So again, if you're if you're listening to this stuff for the first time is and I'm a classically trained economist, right? I have a degree in economics and a degree in psychology, and when you sit in enough economics classes, they would tell you that there are three ways that you can combat not you and me, but there are three ways that, that the government, government can combat inflation. Specifically, it comes through the channel of the Federal Reserve Bank. Okay, the Federal Reserve Bank is essentially the, the bank of the U.S. government. They are the body. They're the, 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 the part of the government that controls the interest rates in this country. They also control something called monetary policy. Fancy which, word for money. Right, which, which controlling interest rates is really what? Controlling the cost of, of debt, money of debt. Yeah. Controlling the cost of borrowing money. Yes. At at the at the government level, which then comes through the banking system that then comes to the consumer. Right. Yeah. So, so it's if, a trickle down effect. It is. A, it is definitely a trickle down effect. So if you think about it first and foremost, and this has been obviously very well publicized and talked about, is the one the most traditional way that they can have an impact on inflation is to raise interest rates. So if you raise interest rates at the federal level, that's going to trickle down and mean that it's going to increase interest rates at the bank level. Right. Your mortgage, your home equity loan, your car loan, your credit card loan. By nature, what that has a tendency to do when those things become more expensive is was there an F in that word you just Expensive? said? Expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I just I just wanted to make sure. Just yeah, clarify. I am super caffeinated, so I could. <laughs> I mean, I could talk into this mic for four days. 
that is by nature, by human nature, going to slow down the spending at the consumer level. Again, always remember the consumer is 70% of the economy. Right. Okay. So if you slow down the spending of the consumer, it is going to basic economics, supply and demand, right? If demand drops, supply is going to go up and prices are going to come down. Ideally. Yes. In a vacuum. That's how it works. In a vacuum. Yes. And ultimately that's where as prices come down, that's how inflation starts to ebb. That sounds painful to not spend money. Well, on this show, <laughs> right? On this show, absolutely. Huh. So that is that is a very conventional, traditional approach to combating inflation, which the Fed has done. So rewind and the tape. And continues to do. Absolutely. Rewind the tape and go back to pre-COVID. Okay. Wow, that's a lot of tape to rewind. That's a lot of tape to rewind. But as soon as COVID hit and, and the bomb went off and the stock market went down 35% in three weeks and everybody was panicked, the Federal Reserve came out and took interest rates at the federal level to zero. Yeah. This is kind of this is kind of getting to why inflation is rearing its ugly head as significantly as it is today. Right. Because guess what? Take everything I just said and reverse it. You take interest rates to zero, that means lending becomes, I mean, how many- Holy cow, it's free to borrow how money? How many people do we know, both socially and, and have client relationships with, that have mortgages in the twos and threes? Me, your honor. Okay. Yeah. So money becomes cheap. Hey, we can buy more house. We can buy more car. We can buy nicer stuff for our house. Spend, 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 spend. You know what my drug of choice is? My absolute favorite drug in the world? More. Holy cow. When there's zero interest rates, that's like mainlining my drug of choice, right? When I can get more of fill in the blank, whatever it is that I love, so we got, I get excited. Absolutely. So we got the economy Nice and overheated. And I don't mean to have this be an economics lesson, but if you go back and you look at the fourth quarter GDP, what the heck is GDP? The gross domestic product of the United States, meaning how much goods and services were sold in the fourth quarter of 2021. The growth rate on that was over 6%. That's pretty gross. Okay. That's gross in the context of what it normally is. Right. Okay. It's less. We don't need to go down that path, <laughs> but that is hot. Yeah, right? The, yeah. the water Smoking is hot. boiling. Yeah. Well, that is what is partly contributed to this overheating of the economy is how we took rates to zero to combat COVID, right? Yeah. Now, and you and I have been preaching this since 2008 when we did that once before, and then they let rates come back up a little, and then boom, we brought them back down to zero, yeah. is we've been secretly telling our clients that you want to wake up in the morning and see that the Fed has bumped interest rates. Yep because it's going to be a sign that things are healthier. Well, yep. now the last two moves by the Federal Reserve have been have been 3 quarters of a percent twice. Yeah. Those are those are not baby steps. Those are jumbo steps. Oh, shoot, brother. Because they got to, they got to start to tamper this thing a little bit. And that hasn't happened that egregiously since 1994, the year before we got in the business, right? You and I got into this business on the heels of the last time the Federal Reserve acted this aggressively. Yep. And oh boy, was that uncomfortable for a year or two. Yep. Right. We're talking to bond investors back then that saw their their current bond values drop Owie. by as much as thirty percent. Good AAA rated, like high credit quality stuff that caused a lot of temporary pain because. What do you, you mean? I, what do you mean I can lose money in bonds? 
<laughs> right? That's a whole show. That's another whole show on the misunderstanding of the quote-unquote conservative nature of owning bonds. If we are going to bastardize the English language and have fun with it every once in a while, sure. can you get the word right, please? Uh, please correct me. Misunderestimate. Mis right, right, right. Okay. I got that word wrong. All right. Two shout outs to Kevin today. <laughs> uh, keep going on your bike, buddy. Please. So the number two lever, right? Yeah. First is you can raise interest rates. These are not necessarily in a particular order, right? but these are just what you can traditionally do to have some impact on inflation. The next thing the Federal Reserve Bank can do is, because guess what? They make the rules. Oh. They can change the rules on how much banks have to keep in reserve for emergencies. I seem to remember that being a hot topic of conversation post-2008. Yes. If you go way back there, very similar behavior to what the Fed did. Mm -hmm. Okay. What is, why is that important, Right. Well, let's say you and I are a bank. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I feel like we are when it comes to our children. Well, we have children, right? And the banks, how do how do banks make money? Banks make money by lending out what they have. Oh, I thought you were asking me. Right. <laughs> uh, you're just going to be in the co-pilot seat today. Yeah, it's all good. You go, brother. You're on fire. They make their money by lending out the money. Right. Okay. So let's say we have... Well, uh, they, they borrow money from the Fed yes. at, a, at one rate, yes. and then they turn around and they loan it out at a higher rate. Or you know, kind of like the guys, you know, the, with the hard money loans, you got to go, you know, see the guy about the thing. Right. These guys are just you, a little if you don't less pay obvious. Him, if you don't pay them back, they're going to, you know, you're going to see Tony Salazzo and he's going to come see you with a, you know. I think the banks are starting to do that now, by the way. I hope not. <laughs> Hiring Tony Salazzo to come pay you a visit. When the rules change on their reserves... And reserves, no different than what we talk about in the, in the bucket concept of the money we have to have now. Versus soon, versus later, versus potentially never. Or, in a more conventional conversation, emergency savings. Right. So the emergency savings that the federal government requires the banks to have, when they move that number up, that means the banks can lend out less. Right. I would imagine that might drive the cost of lending out money up even further because there's now less supply of money to be lent bingo, bingo. to the consumer. Bingo, bingo. And then the, the rest of the waterfall happens, right? right? Right. There's less to lend. The price goes up. The consumer borrows less because they don't want to pay that. Therefore, prices are going to start to come down. And that's a different way of combating inflation. Hmm. Now- Tool number two. Tool Love number it. two. But yeah. if you go, if, again, you got to rewind the tape- that's why the, there's so much context here. That's why the, we're taking so much time to talk about this in a special episode is you have to understand it's not good or bad. It just is. It just is. Right. And the Fed, to help, I think in a very meaningful, productive way, in March and April of, of 2020, they took the Federal Reserve requirements for banks to zero. Oh, they took both numbers to zero. Zero. Wow. Interest rates, zero. Federal Reserve banking reserves, zero. Wow. Game on. Well, I think a lot of people, I mean, yes, what the picture you've just painted tells me that what's happened fiscally and monetarily since COVID is what really drove a lot of this. I, I would argue that it really started back in 2009 with the Troubled Asset Relief Plan, with TARP, 
because that was really that that bailout package after the 2008 financial crisis. That peanuts. was peanuts. I know it was peanuts, but it was it was a marker. Eight hundred billion dollars. Right. Pocket change. I get it. Right. Here. It wasn't then. It wasn't then, but it is because of inflation. It is today. But that started something that never happened before. It started something where, for the first time, the executive branch of government, through executive power, was able to provide pain relief, was able to provide financial pain relief so that the great financial crisis that was occurring didn't have to be as painful as it could have been. Well, I don't know. It, it, it was painful for it some was of on, us. It was on the precipice of TKO. For you? No, not just me. For societally. It was. It yeah. was. And it was a drastic move at the time. Yes. I don't believe we're here today dealing with this. If back then when that crisis happened, we as a nation were allowed to suffer the consequences of our choices. We made choices as a country and we all need to own those choices together. We made it okay to allow people to go buy stuff they couldn't afford. We made it okay to make comfort more important than discipline. We made it okay to throw out every ounce of honoring the pain of discipline. Yeah. And so as painful as that may have been for the majority of all of us to go through at the time, we're where we are today on the precipice of some really ugly stuff because we didn't allow ourselves to experience the pain in 2008 that we deserve to experience based on our behavior as a, as a nation. And I called my mother today, who is very difficult to get on the telephone for reasons I won't get into other than she's ambulatory and it's hard for her to get to the phone if it's not right next to her. And today she answered the phone. Oh, that's a gift. Why do I share this? Because she used one of my all-time favorite pat words, patisms. It's going to get worser, mm. right? The, the kicking the can on that in 08 and 09 gets us obviously, you know, to the COVID times of how we put six or eight trillion and, dollars. And this is not a partisan conversation. This, this is, is why not, we said this, because this, this is a is government not. thing. This, it, this is a financial planning class in what the heck is going on. We've had two Republican administrations and two Democratic administrations since the very first executive order to make economics a little less painful. Right. It has been a government thing since 2008. And? 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 The pain gets deferred. Yes. It doesn't get eliminated. It gets deferred. It gets deferred. The third item in terms of the the levers that you can pull here and push and pull at the federal level is raising the price of government bonds, right? So as the government issues bonds to pay for debts that the government has, whether it's bridges and tolls and dams or whether it's just, you know, government debt. And let us not forget that we have, you can go to the U.S. Debt Clock dot com dot org. org yeah go to the us debt clock dot org and you will see up in the upper left hand corner that we are now rolling over the 30 trillion dollar mark of us debt in the way of credit card debt as you and i might think of who makes my bills look small so as they as they have to deal with paying that debt the government issues bonds did you say billion or trillion? No, that was a T. A trillion. Capital T. Okay, I just wanted to make as sure in, I heard you right. As in trillion. There was a little delay in my brain processing the sound of what you just said. Yeah. 
that is a different, that's, that's the third leg of the stool in terms of what the government can do, because if, if it's now attractive, if interest rates have come up, which they've done, yep. and now the price of a government bond is higher, then people that have dollars that are discretionary, that they can do something with, they can spend it, they can invest it. Well, now I can get some money, a better return than I've seen in 14 years on a government bond. So now I go buy a government bond or I go buy a CD mm. and now that money comes what, what they call out of circulation. They reduce the supply of money, which has been rampant, and you can see that on the debt clock as well. Mm -hmm. It's a little harder to find, and I can't verbally explain where it is, but you can see where the, the M2 money supply was 10 years ago and where it is today and how that's ballooned. Oh, there's so much more money in the system today that hasn't been earned. That's just been that, That's been part of my frustration with all of these debt relief packages and uh, uh, stimulus packages is that it's money going into the system that never existed before it went into the system. Nobody's earned it. Nobody created anything to create that money. It was just money printed on a printing right. press and distributed back to the public. Right. Right. More dollars chasing fewer goods, driving inflation through the roof. Thank you. That, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, is how you deal with inflation. Those are, those are the conventional things that you do to combat inflation. So now we're going to turn your lapage. Can we get to why I'm pissed off? Yes. Okay. We're going to turn a Lepage on what is the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. <laughs> because we've just simply laid out what inflation is, how you combat it. Mm -hmm. And now in a very nonpartisan way, and we'll probably say that another 10 times on this show because we are not trying to be political. You know what I invite people to do if you're, if you're still listening and haven't fallen asleep or driven your car into a tree is... <laughs> Check yourself at the door on this. Check yourself on how agitated you get politically because of what we're about to say. Partisan politically. Partisan politically. Yeah. And, and do your damnedest to be agnostic. Do your damnedest to listen to this in a very Switzerland way to see how relevant this is to combating inflation. Yeah. This isn't a left or right thing. This is a government thing. So the Inflation Reduction Act... And don't take our word for it. Go right to the uh, the White House website and the briefing room where they say, by the numbers, the Inflation Reduction Act will lower costs for families, combat the climate crisis, reduce the deficit, and finally ask the largest corporations to pay their fair share. Sounds that, lovely. That is what the Inflation Act, the Inflation Reduction Act, which I get a, a big yuck yuck out of the fact that the abbreviation for it is IRA. <laughs> Right. We spend we spend how much of our life in financial planning land talking about in individual retirement accounts, i.e. a la IRA. Right. And here, you know, we have TARP. We have what was the the big one? I can't remember the name of the big one that we I did during these, COVID yeah, with the I six trillion acronyms. Right. We get all the acronyms. But the the haha -ha acronym for me on this one is IRA. Right. Nice. And it is to address health care spending and cutting prescription drug costs lowering health care costs, defeating special interests, lowering energy costs, building a clean energy economy, reducing harmful pollution, making the tax code fairer, and reducing the deficit. All those things those, sound wonderful. Those are the headline markers in what the Inflation Reduction Act is meant to do. I'm waiting for the part on inflation. I don't think so. So that's what initially, when this came down, I was horrifically pissed off at. 
But I will say, I didn't let myself sit there pissed off for long because I have absolutely no control over what those clowns in Washington want to call the legislation that they're trying to sell us. And since I have no control over that, and again, this goes back to setting expectations. You, you and I talked about this eons ago on the show about how I've got this problem of setting very unrealistic expectations. And, and the way I've learned how to check that is, A, I look at how much control do I have over the situation, and B, what has been historically the pattern of what I feel like I'm frustrated with or have an expectation of. So, A, I have no control over what our government decides to call this bill, number one. And number two, historically, they like to use names, they like to use descriptions that are very sales appeal-y. And the curtains don't always match the carpeting when it comes to what it's called versus what it does. So when I look at those two pieces of information, do I have an unrealistic expectation that if somebody tells me this is the Inflation Reduction Act, is it an unrealistic expectation of me to actually think that it might address inflation? And based on how you and I look at expectations as reasonable or unreasonable, that tells me I've had an unreasonable expectation of what this bill should actually address based on the title. Because that's been the story forever. And part of my argument, and I completely understand where you're coming from, and part of my argument is where where in the details of what I just read is kind of the cliff notes in terms of what it's addressing. Is it one of those three? Is it the White House that has and the legislative body that has the ability to combat inflation or is it the Federal Reserve Bank? Right. It's, it's so let's start obviously there. Obviously, it's the Federal Reserve Bank. We let, know that. Right. And, let, and, and that's where I want people to periscope up and recognize that the executive branch and the legislative branch are not really the parties responsible for trying to combat inflation. That is the job of the Federal Reserve Bank. They can't control it. They can't cure it. But they absolutely can contribute to it by giving us bills that increase the amount of money our government is going to spend and the amount of money that it puts in people's hands to go out and spend on meaningless stuff. That's what initially was very frustrating to me. Yeah. And this is not quite a trillion dollars. Oh, thank heavens. I think it's in the, I forget exactly. So back in the chump change land, it's just billions again. It's just, I think it's in the seven to $800 billion range. Ah, Good. Somebody can certainly fact check us on that. And it is intended to provide some relief in different segments of the United States population. Right. Well, and and this is what I wanted to get to because we could sit here like, and, and this is what I'm hearing in most of the other money shows. Most of the other money shows I've been listening to and the articles that I've been reading is there's a lot of anger out there. Oh, come on. A lot of anger. What? Right? What's everybody so angry about? The exact same thing I seem to have been pissed off about. Wait a second. Their house is at an all-time high. Their rental properties, if they have them, are at all-time high. Their stock portfolio, okay, it's not at an all-time high, but it's pretty damn high. And the labor supply is really tight, so wages are up. What's everybody pissed off about? Hmm, that's a great question. Maybe it has something to do with somebody telling me one thing and doing something else. Maybe that's just not something, no matter how good my life is, our society tolerates very well. I know I don't tolerate it very well. You and I spend so much of our time trying to provide perspective. Yes. And looking back at what has transpired. And when we sit with our clients and show them 
how much money they've made. I did it yesterday with a client who he was like, I had no idea. What do you mean we're up X percent over the last three years? I said, well, here, here's, here's the report. I'm not, this right. isn't stuff I can make up. That's, sure. <laughs> that's not ethical. And I wear orange. Sure. If, if you own a home, if you own a home and, and you, you own stock and you own stock and you look back three years ago, <laughs> you are wealthier today than you were three years ago. Is it regardless of inflation? Is it at an all time high right now? Maybe not. No, but not too far from it's it. It's pretty freaking high. Within 10% of the all-time high. Right. Right. So that. So what is everybody pissed off about with this? My guess is the people who are pissed off are the people who maybe don't own a home or don't own stocks and are truly feeling the pressure of inflation. And we've got a government telling us that they're going to help provide relief. I mean, what's the name of the bill? They're going to provide relief and reduce inflation through this big swooping act. And I could understand why people who are dealing with inflation in real terms are pissed off at that. There's a great article by Kelly Ann Smith, okay. who is a Forbes writer. And the title of this article is The Inflation Reduction Act is Now Law. Here's what it means for you. And I encourage our listeners to go check it out and read the article. I like how it's kind of a down the middle. It's not a left aisle, right aisle. It's kind of a purple article on what this thing is going to do. And right in the very beginning, one of the first sentences is she references the fact that the Inflation Reduction Act is a slimmed down version of Build Back Better. Okay, so if you're on the right side of the aisle, that probably peeves you. If you're on the left side of the aisle, that's probably like, oh, ah. right. right. Let it be neither. Let it be neither. Don't jump to one side of the aisle that you're most comfortable with. Dude, a lot easier said than done. I know it is, but that's what I'm challenging our listeners yes. to today yes. is to try to read this and understand what it is. Why? Why? What it is and what it isn't. Why are you challenging listeners to do that? Be Why? Because we have gotten so polarized that nothing gets done anymore because I'm supposed to hate you because you're left and I'm right mm. or you're right and I'm left and we can't have conversations. We can't have discourse. We can't have disagreements. and Without getting nasty. Without getting nasty. And I see it all the time in social media with, with friends that rant on something and then people that rant back and I defriend you and, you know, F this and screw you. and You're toxic. You're, yeah, you're toxic. <laughs> you're evil. You, you're an idiot. Yet we all have more in common than we do have differences. And that's what's so amazing. And that's why I have chosen not to be pissed off about this anymore. I have chosen not to be pissed off at the disconnect between the name of the bill and what the law now is actually going to do. What I'm trying to do is more understand what is inside of this law, what is inside of this bill that is now law, and trying to understand how that impacts me, my family, and the people in my life who I'm responsible for helping guide with financial decisions relative to this new information. Right. And and there are definitely pieces of this bill that are going to affect the people in our lives more than other parts of the bill, some in a potentially very positive way and perhaps some in a little bit more of a negative way. Yeah. And let's go over the kind of the five so, yeah, let's get the five markers it. of this. Yes. Right. The five please. kind of, you know let's be done being pissed off the at the provisions. political side of this and let's just look at what this freaking thing actually is right. and and how it's going to impact our lives and so, how it might impact our financial sobriety absolutely so 
The, the first is the creation of a 15% minimum corporate tax rate. Hallelujah. And for big, big, big businesses, businesses that are making a, you know, over a billion dollars a year, it helps prevent their ability to manufacture their tax rates in such a way that would be less than that, right? So that should be tax revenue for more tax revenue for the government. Now, if you happen to own one of these businesses or you're a shareholder in one of these businesses, eh, probably not so great, but go way back to one of my all-time favorite TV commercials, all time. And I wish I, I mean, we could probably go find the exact date of this thing. I'm going to guess it was late 80s. Okay. It was a Dorito commercial. Okay. Yeah, don't worry, we'll make more. <laughs> right? That was the tagline of the commercial was... Don't worry, we'll make more. Yeah, we'll make more. Okay. Right? We'll make more Doritos. There's always more Doritos. And in corporate America, in, pro, in for-profit land, they are very smart people who will figure out just how to make more money and deal with the fact that there's a 15% tax. Now, I could go down an economic rabbit hole and say... Well, guess what? If you and Ace's handsome younger brother here and I are running a business, well, that's easy. If we're going to pay 15% in taxes, let's just raise prices 15%. Mm -hmm. Well, who, whose shoulders does that fall on? The consumer. <gasps> huh. Oh, I, that doesn't feel like it's going to reduce inflation, does it? Nope. Okay, next. Well, but so it, it's important that we see on both sides of that where that could be a benefit as well as uh, a little bit of pain. Right. The, the benefit to getting these large faceless corporations to pay to contribute a little bit to what it costs to build roads, pay for the fire department to come put out a fire you might have on your corporate campus, to pay for the police that keep us all safe, to pay for the schools that educate our children. I mean, to know that the majority of the largest, most profitable corporations in the United States have not been participatory in that, except at an individual level. Right. The individuals who occupy that corporation have to turn around and take a part of their piece of that corporation and pay taxes on it. I personally would rather see the corporate entity pay its taxes before it pays me and, and participate in the taxes. Now, the other side to that, as a consumer, that could wind up being a cost on my shoulder. I don't know yet, but it's important to be aware of the potential pros and cons of that. Yeah. And uh, each one of these we could pick apart for a couple hours. Absolutely. Right? But we want people to stay awake. Yes. Right? So the next big provision here is prescription drug price reform. So for the Medicare enrollee, 10,000 citizens a day in the United States of America turning turn 65. 65. Yep. Right? You pick apart the demographics of the United States. I think it's just a year or two from now. The fastest growing segment of the U.S. population is over the age of 85. And, and it makes sense because the boomers are aging, yep. right? Yep. The boomers are are getting into that stage of life. So consequently, what happens, yeah, what happens if Medicare can now negotiate this stuff? That is definitely going to help the Medicare enrollee and they are going to put a Medi Medicare recipients will have a 20 will have a $2,000 cap on annual out-of-pocket prescription drug costs starting in 2025. Wow. I can now, think of a number of people that's going to be a game changer for. That is a wonderful social benefit. And you could say maybe indirectly on that one, that if I'm freed up and I know my, my medical prescription drug costs are capped, then it's going to leave me a little bit more disposable income for the cruise or the visit to the grandkids 
or whatever. And so maybe my spending is redirected and would help stimulate the economy. So, I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful social benefit and we have many, many, many clients and many, many friends that are, that are hitting this stage of life and the cost of certain medications can be tens of thousands of dollars. Astronomical. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, that's a wonderful societal benefit. I'm not exactly sure how it, it addresses immediate inflation, right? Because isn't so much of this the fact of it's the immediate pain of having to make economic choices of whether you put food on the table, gas in the car, or I pay for my health care. Absolutely. Right? Part really? of the, the struggle when some of this for me is that these are futuristic things that are going to happen down yeah. the road. Yeah, yeah. But the impact of the inflation is today. Right. And there are so many families in this country that have to make those exact choices. Yes. I don't see how this bill addresses any of that. And and I'm trying to just accept that. Well, this next one I think is going to help. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. So 80 billion with a B, yep. $80 billion is being directed to the Internal Revenue Service. I saw that. To do a couple of things. Some of it's technology. There's a whole separate article we could talk about there. Yep. But enforcement. About fifty billion of yep. the eighty billion is going to greater enforcement. Right. Hiring and enforcing the tax laws of this country. And that is going to drive revenue into the governmental coffers. Right. I, I would be initially nervous about hearing something like that because what that tells me is, is with more enforcement, there's potentially more audits that are going to start happening because I get it. There's this huge tax gap where there are lots of people fraudulently filing taxes that are less than what they owe. And, and, and so having the ability to capture more of that, it makes me nervous to think that, yes, they're going to be able to capture more of that. But at the same time, it exposes me to potentially more tax planning cost by having to go through an audit. But on the same time, hopefully some of those technology fixes will make it a little bit more streamlined so they can start to identify the difference between a fraudulent tax return and one that's done properly like yours and mine. Mm -hmm. Right. So, yeah. there, again, there's a balance there where I could get scared. I could get a little worried. But at the same time, I also have a little bit of hope that using the money to upgrade the systems, that their technology becomes more efficient and they can just spot these differences a little easier. There's a lot of talk, not specifically in this article, about what some of the projections are relative to the to the additional revenue that that's going to generate and how right. that goes to pay down some of the debt in the, in terms of the U.S. debt. But hmm. it's in the hundreds of billions of dollars, like in the hundred, two hundred billion dollar. And when you have a thirty trillion dollar credit card bill, that's like the minimum payment. Right. I, right. I read some ridiculous number that over the next ten years, that investment in the IRS is going to reduce the deficit by four percent. That's that would be wonderful. That was the number I read in an article. Oh, that's a lot bigger number than the math I was I was interpreting. Okay. The Affordable Care Act, which again, if you're if you have your political earphones on, you hear that and you immediately go to one aisle one or the side other. Or the other, yep. Try not to. Is that subsidy is going to be extended? Not really. A lot I want to go into there. A lot of what is in this act is really an energy and uh, climate related bill to really try to help with clean energy. And again, those are wonderful initiatives, but they're not today. No. They're not anytime soon. No. Those are longer term investments that while they may be worthy, 
they are not going to have a very immediate effect on prices at the pump, prices at the, at the I'm going to use your word, food store. Food store, boy. That's actually Daniel's word. That's my brother's word. Oh, I that's just, his word? That's his word. I just, if, if I go east and Does that I come spend, from mom and dad? What is, is it a Long Island thing? I think that's a Long Island thing because every time I come back from the East Coast, it just sticks with me for a little while until you get me back to going to the grocery store. Well, and you always go up. You always go up to the food store. Right. Of course. You got to go up to Costco. You got to go up to the mall. You got to go up to the food store. You right. got to go so up I, to everything. I, well, I picture these like 25 story buildings that you go up to <laughs> where it's like up the hill. I, anyway. That one I credit my mother-in-law for. She's the one who put up in my head. You there's gotta, not that There's not that many ups in Syracuse. <laughs> no, there's a lot of downs. Not but a she lot grew of up ups. on the north side and that is, that, that is, is kind of up. up. Yep. That is definitely, if you look at the topographical map, that is on the up. Upside of Syracuse. Upside Syracuse. So- a lot of what's in it are social hot topics that may be beneficial over time, but it's not, it's not going to have a very immediate effect on inflation, right? There, there is no, for instance, at the, at the state level, and here we are in California and, and what the gas tax represents in California, there's no federal subsidy coming at this, that's going to be pushed to the state level to defer some of the state tax the taxes that exist on gasoline, right? And I'm no policy wonk and I'm not a very political person, but a lot of these things are wonderful in a social way that will have impact over time. Right. But I don't see how they really drive anything to do with inflation relative to the three pulleys and levers that we talked about. Right. The Fed's going to continue to do their thing. They're, they're, they're talking about, you know, raising rates another 75 basis points. Mm-hmm. And, those kinds of things, I mean... That's three quarters of a percent for us lay folk, sorry. by the way. Yeah, yeah that's okay. Thanks gotcha. for the translator. Yeah, of course. So the, the Federal Reserve has the hardest job of all because go read around the internet a little bit and you will see that it's it's not very easy to get a nice soft landing with 8 and 9% inflation. Yeah. There is a... Chairman Powell has a very, very challenging job with his team and his board to navigate this thing and not absolutely tank the economy by raising interest rates too high. Mm-hmm. That's what I worry about. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, what I worry about is the Fast and Furious movie. Right. Is too much. Let's too go. fast. Let's go. Right. Just and and you'll hear these words hawk hawkish, and dovish. Right. Right. Because I'm tight. Thank you. And when the Federal Reserve is dovish, they are ah. Pleasant and nice it's a and pretty relaxing bird. and easy. It's a pretty bird. Right. Times are good. The hawk, on the other hand, he's going to kill you. Alan Greenspan, baby, walking into President Clinton's office in 1994 and declaring the party is over. Right. So hawkish, when you see that referencing the Fed, is yeah. they are going to drop the hammer and keep raising interest rates. Right. And the Painful, and, painful, painful. Yes. The risk in the room is it's too much too fast. And I could that and that risk, brother, with how easy and dovish our Fed has been since Chairman Greenspan has left office, I'm concerned that when someone is used to being dovish, they can really go quickly to hawkish without fully embracing what it means to be hawkish over time. Like they are the pros. Said, they go fast and they go hard. They are the pros. Yeah. They have the data. We have to have Faith and trust and belief in those people that are appointed to those positions. I'm working on that. And it's not, while it's not easy and we can armchair quarterback all we want, those are the conventional ways that you address inflation. Here's what I think we need to do next with all of this. 
all of this stuff that we've talked about for three hours for what feels like three days seems to be mostly stuff that's outside of our control. Like the things that you just talked about, we're worried about, right? Do they go too hawkish too quickly? These are all what ifs that are way outside of our sphere of control. And the theme of what we do in this studio, the whole meaning and mission behind financial sobriety, the theme, so to speak, of what is financial sobriety is about being intentional with the three most complex interconnected relationships we all have in our lives. Our relationship with money, our relationship with people, our relationship with self. So where I want to take this conversation in the next episode or two is how do we look at all of this uncertainty, all of these uncontrollable variables, and what do we do about it to be very intentional with our financial resources so that we can take some control and choice back into our own lives, create some intention, challenge the conventional thinking of just accepting the status quo as it is, and embracing it as it is what it is, how can I take a little bit more control and choice back into my own life to make very intentional, mindful decisions with my money and have that positively impact the relationships in my life as well as what I see when I look at the man in the mirror. That's where I'd like to see this conversation go next. That's the point of why we had this conversation today. I am grateful to you, brother, for that big, beautiful left brain of yours, that's big, Gorgeous CFD brain of yours. Yeah, we dust it off every once in a while. That gets to put class in session. I learned some great stuff today. Thank you. You're very welcome. And with that, my friend. That's a wrap. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. And check out our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com. Thanks again for listening today. Here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety. I'm Matthew Grishman. And I'm Jim Gebhardt. Be intentional with your money. Jim Gebhardt is a registered representative of and securities offered through Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, member SIPC. Jim Gebhardt and Matthew Grishman are investment advisor representatives of Gebhardt Group Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, and Gebhardt Group Incorporated are not affiliated. The opinions in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or investment recommendations. To determine which investments or financial advice may be appropriate for you, consult a financial advisor prior to investing. Any reference to market performance is based on historical information and there is no expressed or implied guarantee of future performance. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Brokers International Financial Services, LLC. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Gebhardt Group Incorporated does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance.